Well, good morning to you. Good to see you. If you have a Bible, please turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this book was written by the Apostle Paul. He was writing to a church that he started in a place called Corinth that was in Greece. And uh, our sermon text this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we'll be reading uh, verses 1 through 7. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7. Let's pray. Well, Father, we just look to you in and through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We would just acknowledge to you, Father, that we are very, very, very weak people. We are frail. We are finite. The Scriptures say that we are like the grass of the field. We flourish today. And the wind blows over us and we are gone. Very frail, very weak, very small creatures. And we just acknowledge that to you, Father. And we're just grateful that you are a God who shows himself strong on behalf of the weak who look to him in faith. So we just look to you in faith. We depend upon you. We lean upon you, Lord God. Not I, not we but Christ in us. When we are weak, Christ is strong. And so we just look to you and ask for your help, Father. We ask for your help looking into your word. We ask for your help, Father, as we, as we read here and, and as we consider, just pray you to open the eyes of our hearts that we might know your scriptures, ultimately that we might know you. So we thank you for these things and commit them to you, Father, in the name of Jesus, amen. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Amen. You know, that text right there, as I'm sure many of you know, is one of the most popular Bible texts at weddings. Uh, How many weddings have you been to where you've heard that text read? It might have been read at your wedding. I took a quick glance at Bridal Guide website this week, an article on the 20 most popular Bible texts at weddings, and here's a photo for the article a wedding ring sitting on 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, the most popular of all wedding texts. And, you know, that's a, that's a fantastic thing. It's an absolutely great text to read at a wedding, just this beautiful description of love. But, but here's the thing. Many people have never read 1 Corinthians 13 
in context. And if you really want to understand a certain Bible text, if you want to understand this text here on love, well, the surrounding context is very important. There was a saying at my seminary, context is king when it comes to understanding the scriptures. Context is just so important. And what is the surrounding context here for 1 Corinthians 13? Well, the theme of this entire section of 1 Corinthians is the spiritual gifts. I'm preaching a series here on 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Once you become a Christian, you, you truly trust in Christ in faith. You're following Christ in faith. Well, the Holy Spirit now lives within you, the Bible says. And the Holy Spirit now begins to empower you, works different spiritual gifts within you. And this chapter here, or, or this theme of these entire chapters, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, the theme is on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So this text, 1 Corinthians 13, it's not just a text on love in general. No, this text is about the spiritual gifts. Paul wrote this chapter here, and he's telling us here that we must always practice our spiritual gifts in love. Sam Storm says this, he says, 1 Corinthians 13 is not directly or primarily about marriage. It is about the manner in which we are to exercise our spiritual gifts in the building up of the body of Christ. We must exercise our spiritual gifts in love. And listen, Paul, when he wrote 1 Corinthians 13, he was addressing there some problems in this church in Corinth to whom he was writing this letter. There was division in the church in Corinth around the spiritual gifts especially around the spiritual gift of tongues. Those who had that gift of tongues thought they were superior to other Christians. They looked down on them. And those who did not have that gift of tongues felt inferior, felt unwanted in this church in Corinth. It was a church that was divided. They were fighting. They were bickering, boasting, envy around the spiritual gifts. So Paul now addresses it. He has encouraged these Christians in Corinth on several occasions already. He's encouraged them to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts because the spiritual gifts are really good for the body of Christ. But Paul now warns them here that all their gifts must be practiced in love. If you look at chapter 12, verse 31, just kind of glance over there. It's the verse that leads into chapter 13, which we just read. And Paul says this right at the end of chapter 12. He says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. Earnestly desire, Paul says, the higher gifts, which we saw last week, are the gifts that benefit a greater part of the church. Earnestly desire those spiritual gifts, Paul says, and I will show you a still more excellent way, or I will show you a still more excellent way to practice those gifts. And Paul then gives chapter 13, how should you practice any of your spiritual gifts? Well, you should do it in love, always, for the common good of the body of Christ. And it's really pretty simple. Paul is 
Paul is simply saying here in 1 Corinthians 13, he's saying that the gifts of the Spirit must always be accompanied by the fruit of the Spirit. And the leading fruit of the Spirit, according to Galatians 5, is love. The gifts of the Spirit must always be accompanied by love. There are two primary parts to what Paul says in this text here about love. Both of them are connected to our practice of the spiritual gifts. These are the two things we'll look at here this morning. We'll go ahead and put them on the screen. Paul first gives us here in this text the indispensability or necessity of love when we use our spiritual gifts. And Paul then gives us some of the characteristics of love when we use our spiritual gifts. So Paul talks first here about the indispensability or the the necessity, the importance of love when we use our spiritual gifts. He starts here, if you just glance back at the text, he starts here with these three conditional if-then sentences. And he's just emphasizing here that all the gifts in the world, if there's no love when those gifts are practiced, then all of those gifts are worth absolutely nothing in the body of Christ. If you look at verse 1 again, he starts here. First if-then sentence, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And listen, he's starting off right there speaking directly to this church in Corinth. Because many of the believers there in Corinth, they had this gift of tongues or this gift of languages, which we looked at a few weeks ago. This spirit-empowered speech in unknown languages, a form of prayer or praise, could be unknown human languages or unknown angelic languages, uh, a gift that requires the spiritual gift of interpretation then so that the church can understand what was spoken in tongues. And with the type of Greek sentence that Paul used here, this conditional sentence, it is clear that Paul thought this gift had value in the body of Christ. Paul will say in chapter 14, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. He clearly saw this gift as having value. The gift itself is great when practiced biblically, but in Corinth, it was that gift of tongues with no love that was Paul's chief concern. The believers in Corinth who had that gift, thinking they were superior, looking down on others, boasting and arrogant. So Paul now says that if I speak in tongues, the tongues of men or of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And it is simply a metaphor for just empty, hollow sound. Meaningless, worthless, of no value in the body of Christ. That gift of tongues when there is not love accompanying that gift. Empty, worthless noise. Anthony Thistleton says this. He says, the whole combined metaphor depicts a tongue speaker who has little love for others, producing self-important, loud, intrusive decibels, which amount to little more than that. Empty worthless, 
noise. Tongues with no love attached to it. And Paul then moves quickly here to a couple other spiritual gifts that he has mentioned back in chapter 12. If you look at chapter 13, verse 2, he says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So, if you now have the gift of prophecy, which he covered in in chapter 12, and if you understand all mysteries and all knowledge, possibly a reference to those gifts of utterances of wisdom and knowledge from chapter 12, and he says if you also have all faith, or you have the gift of faith, which he talked about back in chapter 12, you have the gift of faith that can move mountains, that can possibly, or, or faith that can believe for the impossible. If you have all of those gifts, Paul says, but you have no love, you are nothing. Nothing, period. The fanciest gifts you could think of in the body of Christ, not accompanied with love, is nothing in the eyes of God and nothing for the body of Christ. And I want you to notice the repeated use of the word all there. If you understand all mysteries, if you understand all knowledge, if you have all faith, But you do not have love, you are nothing. And you could add a hundred other things to that list. If you have the most skill in some sort of ministry, if you have some sort of high intelligence in your job, if you can speak or preach, if you can do any of the above without Love, you are nothing. Does not matter how good, how fancy, how great it looks. Does not matter how much people in this world approve of you. With no love, you are nothing in the body of Christ, in the eyes of God. Gordon Fee says this about this word all that Paul keeps using. If one person could embrace the whole range of gifts and the full measure of any one of them but at the same time would fail to act in love towards someone else such a person would amount to nothing in the sight of God just pause and think about that please Because how often we compare ourselves with people in this world, and if you're just gifted, if you're just skilled, if you can just do fancy things, well, you are something. And God says not if you do not have love, a genuine love that comes through faith in Christ, a genuine love for God and for other people, you amount to nothing. And we just desperately need to hear that. All the spiritual gifts in the world like they had in Corinth, even though those gifts of the Spirit are good, according to Paul, without that one fruit of the Spirit, love, it all amounts to absolutely nothing. It is worthless. And Paul then moves on here from spiritual gifts to sacrificial deeds, to personal sacrifice. If you look at verse 3, he says, If I give away all I have, 
And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. If I give away all I have, and the implication there is that you're giving away all you have to feed the poor. The Greek means to feed by putting little bits into the mouth. So, so Paul is getting at, right there, this, this incredible self-sacrificing philanthropy. You're giving all of your possessions to feed the poor. Or, Paul says, if you give your body to be burned, a reference most likely to martyrdom. You, you give your life for a good cause. You give your life supposedly for God. But Paul says, if you don't have love, you gain nothing from all of that. And pause. That is a shocking statement from Paul when you think about it. Because both of those actions look so great on the surface. Giving all you possess to feed the poor. Giving your life for a good cause. Giving your life supposedly for God. Both look amazing. Both of those things on the surface, what do they look like? They look like love. And yet, there's something so hard for us to understand. At times, God doesn't just look at the surface, at the action itself. No, God looks behind the action. God sees your heart. God sees your motives. And please hear this. It is very possible to give all that you possess. It is possible to give all that you have to the poor. Possible even to give your life in martyrdom. It is possible to do all kinds of great looking sacrificial deeds, personal sacrifice, and yet the heart behind those actions is not really love. Not really love for God and for other people. Jesus talked about the religious leaders in his day who gave to the poor. Why? To be seen by other people. They gave to the poor for the praise of men. And listen, you can give your body in martyrdom for some good cause or supposedly for God, but it's not really love. Maybe you're just looking for some last minute worldly glory for yourself. I will give myself to this cause in the hopes that I will be in Wikipedia after I die. You're doing it for the praise of men right at the end of your life. Very possible. Or maybe you're just doing it out of sense of duty. You're not really doing it because you love God. You're just doing it because you think you have to. It's not really love. It's just duty. And Paul says here that if there's no love, then all of your personal sacrifice, you gain nothing. You gain nothing if it's not really done out of a sincere love through faith in Christ, a love for God, a love for other people. You gain nothing. Now, the Bible says that when you do acts of service in and through faith in Christ, a love for God, a love for other people, you do gain things. You gain reward in heaven in the eyes of God. But if it's not out of true love, the Bible says you do not gain from all of your personal sacrifice. 
And Paul, man, he's just hammering home here. The great indispensability, the importance of love in the Christian life. Paul has now mentioned five or so different things depending on how you count. Starting with these spiritual gifts and ending with sacrificial deeds. And if you have all of them, Paul says, but no love, you have nothing. And D.A. Carson says this, he says, in this divine mathematics, five, all these gifts are personal sacrifices, minus one, love equals zero. But I want you to notice what Paul says here. It's not just that my actions without love are nothing. No, Paul says that I, without love, am nothing. Verse 1, I am a noisy gong. Verse 2, I am nothing. Verse 3, I gain nothing. It's not just my actions that are nothing. I am nothing without love in the eyes of God. D.A. Carson says this. He says, Paul's conclusion is even more shattering Not only are the spiritual gifts exercised without love of no value, but, says Paul, I am nothing. Spiritually a cipher, or spiritually a nobody. Nothing empty. That's just the critical indispensability, necessity, importance of love in all of the Christian life. Love, listen, love in your life is one of the cardinal signs that you've been born again. It's one of the primary signs that you truly have God living within you. You begin to love. We must walk in love as Christians, but don't forget the context here. Paul's point here is the spiritual gifts. Make sure that you exercise your spiritual gifts, whatever they might be, in love at all times. And man, listen, pause, just step back. That right there is just so important for Christians to hear today because it is just so easy for Christians to practice their spiritual gifts with no love. With, with boasting and rivalry and, and envy. No real concern for building up the body of Christ. And What, what, what does that look like today to, to practice spiritual gifts with no love? You just think about it, it could take a million different forms, and it might look like Corinth. If that church in Corinth, it might look like that. It might be a church with people in it who supposedly have a certain gift, like tongues or prophecy or teaching, and they just feel superior. Looking down on the other believers in the church like they're second-class citizens, great gifts, but no love. Or, or maybe it's people who have that gift of tongues, but don't practice that gift of tongues biblically, as Paul describes in these chapters. Maybe they're practicing that gift, but there's no real concern that they be interpreted so other people can understand. They're just speaking them out loud whenever they want. No love. Or maybe you have the gift of giving. Generosity, Romans chapter 12 and the spirit truly empowers you just to give in some amazing ways but some of your giving is not motivated by love 
but by the praise of men. You want to be known as the Christian who gives. Or maybe it's a gift of mercy. And you are incredibly merciful by the power of the Holy Spirit. But your mercy is not always motivated by love. But you're occasionally motivated by trying to make a name for yourself. As the merciful one. Or do you think spiritual gifts without love, could it look something like this? Could it be at times just cessationists? People who think some spiritual gifts have ceased. And continuationists, people who think they all still continue, just arguing. Arguing. Fighting. Bickering. Mocking. Ridiculing one another. Great subject. The spiritual gifts. But fighting. Arguing. As one man actually said calling for all-out war with the other side, and back and forth. Spiritual gifts, no love. Man, the spiritual gifts are good. They are. Earnestly desire them. God commands that we do. But let's just make sure that we exercise those gifts and that we talk about those gifts in love. Humble, serving one another for the common good, the body of Christ. Let's make sure that around those spiritual gifts, we're not actually causing division, dissension, rivalry in the body. So that's the indispensability, the importance of love when we use our gifts. And the second thing Paul gives us here, number two, the characteristics of love. Paul now gives us this this little picture here of what love really looks like. The characteristics of love. Paul gives us right in a row here these 15 different Greek verbs describing love. And man, you'll notice that for Paul right here in 1 Corinthians 13, love is not just a feeling. You know, in our day, we hear the word love, and we tend to think that love is some pretty strong feelings. And we say, I love you, and that typically means, well, I've got some sort of fuzzy, warm feeling for, for you. But for Paul, right here, love is not just some fuzzy feeling. For Paul, right here, love is action. Love is behavior. Love is seen in the things that we do and we don't do for other people. Now listen, love in the Bible, it also involves your emotions, your affections, your feelings. The Bible doesn't tell you to love with no affections. No, the Bible tells you to love with affections. The Bible says that God wants you to love Him With all your heart, soul, and mind, or with all of you, including your affections, your emotions, God wants you to love Him with your feelings. 1 Peter 1 says that we should love one another earnestly or fervently with warm affections for one another. God doesn't command duty, just actions with no heart. No, God commands your emotions. God actually commands your emotions. 
But here's the thing, love in the Bible is more than just emotions. Love is also action. True love in your heart, it will spill over in your actions for for other people. Jesus says, if you love me, you will what? You'll obey me. If you truly have a love in your heart for Jesus, you will obey him. It will show in your actions. And Paul's focused primarily right here, 1 Corinthians 13, on the actions of love. If we truly love one another when we use our spiritual gifts, here are some things that we will do and not do. D.A. Carson says this, he says, not one element in this pithy or concise list is sentimental. Everything is behavioral. Or Gordon Fee says, to love is to act. And anything short of action is not love at all. So let's just run through it. Run through Paul's little list here, his description of love. Here's what I'd encourage you to do as we run through this list. I'd encourage you to just hold this up as a mirror for yourself. I'd encourage you to judge the quality of your own love by what Paul writes here. Judge the quality of your love for other people, of your love for your spouse and your kids and your, your neighbors. Hold, hold this up as, as a mirror for yourself. Look at verse 4. Paul starts with this. His first two verbs here. He says, love is patient and love is kind. And it's just two positive expressions of love Two things that love does. Love, for starters, it is patient. And listen, we hear the word patient and we typically think that just means we can wait for things. I can wait patiently, you know, for my spouse to make me dinner. Uh, I can wait patiently uh, to use the bathroom if somebody's in there. Uh, I'm a patient person because I can wait. But Paul's not just saying there that love waits. Now the Greek verb for patient there, here's what it means. It means that you bear up under provocation without complaint. So someone is provoking you in your home, at work, in the church, exasperating, frustrating you, and you bear it without complaint, without complaint to that person or without spilling the complaints out here (laughs) to other people. That is biblical patience. D.A. Carson says this, he says, love is patient, not merely willingness to wait a long time, but endurance of injuries without retaliation. Love is patient. And Paul says love is kind. Think about the word kind. Love is kind. You know, again, in in our language, the word kind can be a little bit weak at times. We say things like, oh, how kind that you brought me cookies. (laughs) It's often just a, a polite way to say thank you. But when Paul says there, 
that love is kind, the Greek verb for kind means you are not just thankful, but you are warmly generous and helpful. This unselfish concern for the well-being of others. So love is patient, enduring hardship from others, and love is kind, warmly generous to others, even those who might have caused the hardship. Ouch! (laughs) Easy to be kind to those who didn't cause the hardship. But love is kind to those who did. And Paul then mentions here several things that love does not do. If you look again at the middle of verse 4, he says, Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So, love again. Love does not envy. And it refers to a burning inside. A burning with envy or jealousy. And we all know what it is. You've felt envy before. It's that feeling you might get when, when, when someone else prospers and you don't. Or someone has a spiritual gift and you don't. Or someone is recognized in the church maybe in some way and you're not and you burn inside. But love, Paul says, does not envy. It also does not Boast, he says. And this is just the other side of the coin from envy. When you envy, somebody else has something that you want and you burn inside to get it. But when you boast, you now have something that they want, some spiritual gift or skill, and you flaunt it. And the the Greek refers to a braggart or a show-off. Look what I have. Look what I know. Look what I can do. And both of those things, envy and boasting, they were a problem in Corinth with the spiritual gifts. Those who had certain spiritual gifts, they boasted. Look down on those who didn't. Those who didn't have the spiritual gift, they envied. Wanted those spiritual gifts. But love, Paul says, it does neither. And love, he says, is also not arrogant. You're not puffed up or inflated this exaggerated self-conception look how good i am you know paul tripp says your self-perception is as accurate as a carnival mirror so when you're thinking look how great i am this exaggerated self-conception you've probably been looking into the carnival mirror that's probably not really you It's arrogance. In one of Aesop's fables, there's a frog. He wanted to show his kids how big and important he was. So the father frog started taking big breaths. And he started puffing himself up and swelling bigger and bigger until he burst. And he was no longer there. It's arrogance. Pride comes before a fall. Arrogance, I guess, comes before a bursting. But love, Paul says, is not arrogant. You don't think highly of yourself, but lowly. And, Paul says, love is also not rude. You don't behave disgracefully. No manners, no common courtesy for other people. You're not elbowing your way into other people's conversations or using 
your spiritual gifts in a way that would disrupt or interrupt. You're not drawing attention to yourself all the time. You know the people in conversation who are the me monsters, (laughs) constantly pulling things toward themselves. It's a form of rudeness. And love is not rude. And man, you know, you think about rudeness in our lives. You know, the rudeness often shows up not when we're around those people we're trying to please. Not around those people that we respect. No, our rudeness shows up around those people we don't really care about. And we think they're beneath us in some way. You know, many people will be polite when they want someone's approval. They want someone's respect. But then they're just plain rude to those they don't respect, don't really care about. There's, there's a saying, you can spot a true gentleman not by the way he addresses his king, but by the way he addresses his servants. And love is not rude to either king or servants. And love, Paul says, it does not insist on its own way. The King James, if you can get through the THs in the King James, it says, love seeketh not her own. So you don't just look out for you, always insisting on your own way, ramming your own agenda home in your house or wherever you are, thinking only you know what's best in every situation, not willing to listen to other people or Maybe you're listening, but not really listening to understand other people. It's just I, me, my, insisting on your own way, seeking your own. But love looks out for others, seeks the good of others, yields to others. You surrender your way at times, yielding humbly to the way of other people. And Paul says love is also not irritable. You're not easily provoked. Inwardly stimulated by what people say and do. The Greek verb for irritable, it draws on this metaphor. You don't easily become internally acidic. Sour. Bitter. Towards another person. D.A. Carson talking about this word irritable, he says this, in personal relationships, love is not easily angered. That is, it is not touchy. With a blistering temper barely hidden beneath the surface of a respectable facade, just waiting for an offense, real or imagined, at which to take umbrage or at which to take offense. Irritable. And love is also, Paul says, not resentful. If you have an ESV translation, you look there at the word resentful, you'll see that there's a footnote. And the Greek means you don't count up wrongdoing. So here's what that is. When there's love in your heart, you don't keep a score in your head of all the wrongs that someone has done to you. That person has wronged me six times now. And now, man, you're waiting 
and you're going to settle the score at some point. I've felt that. You've felt that. We have felt that. It's just this private file in our heads, filing away the grievances we have against this other person, and now just looking for that person to do it again. Anthony Thistleton, he says this about that word resentful, counting up wrongs. The supposed wrongs of the other person or group are counted, noted, brooded upon, and resentfully added into a grand total of supposed hurt. But love, Paul says, is not resentful. Keeps no score of wrongs. Are you you beginning to feel that you're going to need some help here? (laughs) I do. uh, The first word in the paragraph, I feel I need some serious help from the Lord and from the Holy Spirit. And we'll get to that. Final thing Paul says here that love does not do, verse 6, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. And there, I don't think it's someone has done wrong to you and you're counting it up, I don't think that's it. I think Paul's talking there about another person failing in some way. Making a mistake. 